0: The TNT shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. Matt Arrett and Connecting the Dots on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm Matt Arrett. I'll be your host, and with me today is Tim Kirby. I uh, I myself woke up this morning with a complete headache, close throat, sick as a dog. So I'm going to get through this. I promise you I will, but Tim will also... Be doing more speaking than uh, than usual. I'm going to be throwing some general questions at him. But, Tim, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm doing good. But I thought our plan for this episode was a bit of a secret. And then you go and say everything we have planned uh, right to the audience there. Uh, What's Uh, going on?
0: I like transparency. It's okay. I like bringing everybody into conspiracy as well
1: oh i see okay so you really actually do believe in these uh democratic values because generally anyone who advocates for transparency is part of the corruption scheme the transparency for us peons not for them
0: well you know the uh h.g wells wrote the open conspiracy saying that everybody we we could create this conspiracy and 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 do it in such a way that that it is open it isn't secret and uh, i figure it could be done for evil or why not why not do it for good too and and so let's let's go for that and uh yeah all
1: right i I like the sound of that the open conspiracy and the fact before we just started talking here uh i heard uh the previous show and the the voice there was a audio clip of alex jones and whenever i hear alex jones i get to to to, to take in a little bit of his energy so i'm feeling pumped here i'm also happy that in st petersburg we uh finished up a whole week's worth of uh shooting as of today uh various (laughs) video material related to uh travel and this all that i even got to film the uh raketa uh, watch factory for all the horologists out there uh, that was definitely uh very orgiatic uh and i use that word word not lightly um so i'm a i'm a happy man man so i uh, got plenty of energy today if you got questions especially related to russia then i've got answers
0: all right well yeah let's let's start with a little little uh, personal background I, I don't know if you've ever uh, spoken to the tnt audience before but um you are somebody well, once who's or very twice, you, yeah okay. well, you you've carved out quite an interesting, unique niche. and uh, I, I originally met you. We were both writers for a period on a Strategic Culture Foundation. Um, so we chatted every every now and again. really liked your style. but you're um you found yourself um in Russia some many years back. and uh, <clears throat> right now you're running a travel show. You have a uh, Tim Kirby in russia as a as a political platform that you run on uh, on various social media platforms and Rumble and YouTube. Uh, discussing global events. I love your your geopolitical take. You got a good ana- analysis to cultural wa- culture wars. That's always very interesting to, to listen to your take on that. And you're spearheading something called the American Cities Project. So mm-hmm. first of all, before going into some of the details of the geopolitics going on in Russia, uh, how did you find yourself in Russia to begin with? You're now in St. Petersburg. You're doing this show. How did that happen?
1: Oh, well, then I always forget that uh, when I'm looking at my own life from the inside, it's uh, much more boring than from the outside. Uh, So let me jazz things up here and tell you uh, about these various things. Well, um, about uh, travel stuff. Uh, For many years, uh, I've done a travel program, but I was never really able to um, convince the financing side that it needs to be translated into Russian. I know it's insane to make a travel show hosted by a foreign guy in a different language and then translate it into Russian, but it'll work. And that happened actually as of two days ago. So two days ago plus one year ago, we actually released the first video in the Russian language. And going from zero, we're already at 110,000 subscribers So disp- on YouTube. So just ironically, I've earned the YouTube silver button, but now that there's a war on, I have no means to acquire it. Uh, which I find a kind of interesting uh, irony. So that's the one aspect of my life is doing a lot of travel and tourism videos and videos about the uh, lives of uh, foreigners here, but primarily for a Russian audience, especially because now YouTube really smashes down anything slightly positive about Russia. And Who knows? Maybe I'm too uh, gruff for a um, mainstream English-speaking audience that would rather... um, I don't know simp uh for hot russian girls or something i don't know but uh so that's the one uh vector uh the other uh vector that you mentioned was tim kirby russia uh my channel on telegram tim kirby russia hardcore uh is uh basically uh my a lot of my musings and about news and about geopolitics like i mentioned uh the problem is matt uh, I found uh, make humor has gotten me a lot more money in Russia uh, and kind of doing comedy and stuff, which I did on the radio for many years, has yielded uh, much better financial results than geopolitics like um, uh, I could write about geopolitics. I loved writing for the Strategic Culture Foundation until the uh, uh, U.S. Treasury Department uh, started to send me nasty letters. Um, And, uh, yeah, so that's something I'd like to do more, but unfortunately there's not a lot of ways to convert that into, uh, cash and we all have to live. Yeah. Uh, And about the American villages project, uh, as soon as our website launches, which it should be soon, maybe even before the end of the year, basically I came up with this idea talking to another American who lives here. He is an Eastern Orthodox priest from, uh, Texas. So he's an American guy born and bred, uh, but he's, um, now one of the two, Uh, Orthodox priests here who are uh, from America, Father Joseph Gleason. We had a conversation in his kitchen, and it led to the idea that wouldn't it be cool if we could create a community for uh, Western foreigners within Russia? And the idea sort of grown and expanded and uh, found the right architect, found the right investor, found the right people, tried to find the right legal loopholes. And uh, pretty soon, people's ability to uh, buy a home in russia and by buying a home in russia buy that uh pathway to uh, immigration which is otherwise im freaking possible uh mm-hmm. it will uh become a reality so we're very close yeah right and also and, and by the I thing me- yeah yeah I just want to mention the thing I'm actually, to be honest, the most proud of Uh, Matt, you don't know because I did. We haven't talked. uh, But uh, as of last season, I made the top 100 American football players in the Eastern European Super League of American football at the ripe old age of 42. Them bones are old, but I made the top 100, baby.
0: That's fantastic. Congratulations, Tim.
1: Thank you. You know, I, I.
0: there's so many points today that you, you, you've you got the ball rolling on so many different fronts here. But I, on the issue of the football thing, I really appreciated your your intervention um, or, or the insight that one way to build a diplomatic bridge um, and break through a lot of the propaganda that Americans are being fed every single day about evil baby eating Russians was to mm-hmm. broadcast and, and to showcase the love of football that Russians have and specifically yeah. American football that you've been engaged with. And you even got it streamed, I think it was on O... Ah, uh, one American news network. They
1: they actually streamed the last
0: Super Bowl <laughs> in Russia yeah, yeah, for man. Americans.
1: The last two. So we were able to make a deal. So the last two uh, <laughs> Russian Super Bowls have been on American cable TV, which is pretty crazy. Uh, I wasn't able to convince them to, make, to show the whole season. They were kind of like, well, you know, we're not really a sports network, uh, but they definitely believe in um, avoiding nuclear war. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. uh, the guys there seem to understand that uh, we we really need to build a pathway to peace. And uh, I was recently at a uh, pretty sh- uh, fancy schmancy uh, cocktail party with some VIP guests, many of whom were Americans. Let's just keep it vague as to who they were. And as I was talking to them, I just wanted to see, and every person I mentioned that I play American football, they're like, there's there's an American football league here. Because, you know, like for America, I know you guys have your CFL. Your CFL is amazing. Go Edmonton Elks. For some reason, all the algorithms on all my stupid devices think I'm an Elks fan, so now I have to be. So go Elks, whether I like it or not. But as I was talking to these people, they they just their minds were blown. And Matt, you may or may not know this, but many years ago, even before I started writing for Strategic Culture, I wrote for a different uh, organization about geopolitics. And when it was sort of like the beginnings of Trump uh, was, was I think it was right after the point where he got elected, I wrote an article that said that if we really want to grab the attention of the American masses, which are sometimes very much, you know, asleep at their PlayStations, right? Or uh, Mm. watching their stupid Netflix or whatever. If Putin were to, at the first meeting with Trump, walk out of the doors, throw a perfect spiral pass to Trump, it would change everything. Everyone would notice. It would be an opportunity to really open the... uh, uh, the minds of, of, of society and really pique a lot of curiosity about Russia. Like, what was that? And, of course, uh, uh, that didn't happen, for first first off. And, number two, I uh, took a lot of risk writing that because from the Russian side, the very official Russian establishment, uh, they did not like that. So I took a lot of heat for writing that. That um, was definitely de- mm. reputation damaging, but I stand by that because every time you talk to someone, for the most part, who isn't like very limp wristed, I'll put it that way. And they're from the West. They're always like, oh, my God, you guys have an American football league. That's that, that, that's so interesting. Tell me more about it. And I still think that um, this is this this pathway through uh, the greatest sport on earth uh, would um, be very vital. But unfortunately, the Russian powers that be are a little hard to convince. But there is new hope because now flag football uh, for those in the international audience who don't understand, flag football is the non-violent, non-contact version of American football um, that is going to be in the 2028 and and, and onward uh, Olympic Games. So it's going to become an Olympic sport. So now the Russian government is probably going to have to uh, uh, accept American football as a way of life now uh, because it's an Olympic sport and it's becoming actually extremely popular. Wow. Yeah, no, I, th- I think
0: that, that that's a something that's underrated because i mean it's it's a battle for the mind right like it's it's more than an information war it's 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 how you think about the humanity of your neighbor and i mean the 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 Mm -hmm. oligarchy has been working really hard to get us to see as subhuman either the chinese or the russians and there's all sorts of framing depending upon like which walk of life or what political aisle you tend to come from that is uh given the image that like the chinese there's actually fox news has been Featuring experts talking about Chinese vampires like they're that they're blood eating that there's actually infiltration of uh, Chinese super soldiers who drink blood that they're they're giving that off. So it's like if you're a watcher, a consumer of that type of information, your idea of the Chinese is all of a sudden monster orcs from Lord of the Rings. And there's messaging as well, you know, catered to a variety of Democrats and even Republicans to paint the Russians as well as, as these these baby eating orcs who love just raping and killing uh ukrainian women and children and and i'm it, but the idea of just showcasing the humanity the fact that no they russia is is a place where they love football they're they're they're, they're, they're there's, it's a place where there there's actually a, a sense of optimism for the future same thing for china it's, it's a very powerful thing so what you've done by spearheading the um this this particular cultural project is is really fun i really like like what you've done it's great
1: I've got a yeah, question. Well, uh, I'll put it this way: It's also uh, one of these things where, um, if you remember, there was that uh, MMA fighter uh, Jeff Monson, and he became a sort of local, like I don't know, city deputy or whatever. I forget what the term would be in English, but everyone um, in Russia was sort of like, "Who's this foreign guy who came here?" And all of a sudden, he's a politician. What's up with that? It smells fishy. I actually had the chance to mm-hmm. talk to him in real life, and he said, "Tim, no one else wants to do it." and that's the whole thing with like the American football league it's like i'm sort of the second guy in charge why because no one wants to do it <laughs> that's that's it yeah. and so uh, i understand that if this league is going to um uh, grow it has to get some some sparks to it so it's not just um very good yeah. for uh, humanizing Russians in, in foreign eyes. But this league is going to continue to exist. It's already existed for 30 years. It just gets more and more professional every year. And, um, you know, we need to, 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 to that hype, that spark, uh, because the hard part is uh, you sort of hit a certain ceiling where uh, we have like 40 teams playing and they play every year. But it's not a professional sport. Very few guys get paid. But because it's not a professional sport where few guys get paid, it's hard to attract the advertisers, you know. But so we kind of get stuck where we need advertising to go to the next level. But because we're not on the next level, we can't get advertising. Um, So Mm -hmm. there's a little bit of being stuck. And I think, again, if the Russian politicians would wake up and see that this is the ultimate means to humanize Russians, just imagine where, because we play actually in spring and summer. So imagine when like the whole, um, the NFL season is your fall winter. So imagine if during the off season for people kind of like the XFL or whatever they have this whole uh, weird thing to watch. Uh, It's almost like going back in time to how the NFL was in maybe like the 1940s or fifties where guys get off of work uh, at a factory and just take the field. Like that's the kind of spirit of the way things are like literally everyone has to work a second job, except for a few people. Um, And uh, you know, it, it really has that sort of um, humanizing aspect. Everyone says that college football is somehow more honest uh, because the guys don't really get paid; they just get scholarships. Well, I'll put it this way: if uh, not getting paid uh, leads to honesty, we're the most honest league on earth, brother.
0: Hmm. Well, that—that's the. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about World War One. There was that famous uh case study whereby, on Christmas, I believe it was the uh, the, the German soldiers and the, the the I believe it was the the British soldiers, the British, the, British sudden, the soccer match, the British, right. Yeah, the soccer, the famous yeah, yeah, soccer the match, right, where they just decide to call yeah. a little mini truce and just share some drinks, enjoy Christmas, and play some soccer together. And uh, ultimately, it was so effective uh, that they that the the British soldiers had to be removed from the scene completely because they they couldn't carry out the war that they were expected to do. the 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 act of all of a sudden just playing soccer with your enemy. Uh, transformed the entire psyche of the people who were fighting uh, in the trenches so we've seen yeah. case studies of how this this is obviously this works very well and frankly with the collapse being what it is of the western banking system we could talk a little bit about that maybe uh, you'll get some nfl players who want to seek sanctuary in russia and then increase some of the 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 skill set of the uh the players joining the uh the russian american football
1: oh yeah definitely but before we if before we talk about that people, let's
0: Let's break. Let's go to a little break and then we'll, uh, okay we'll then. continue that line on the American cities project in a little bit more detail. TNT Radio's Steve Malzberg,
1: 13 Israeli hostages released uh, as part of that ceasefire deal. Uh, Forty nine
0: days after they were taken hostage. 49 days. So that still leaves about 225 to 227
1: more hostages. Uh, I'm with John Bolton, the former national security advisor to Donald Trump. I'm with Britt Hume of, uh, of Fox News. I'm with a bunch of other people who say this gives Hamas too much time to do whatever they want to do, to do whatever they
0: need to do, to regroup, to rearm, to re strategize. And as much as you want the hostages back, it can't be at the expense of the other part of the mission, which is to destroy Hamas, I think it's a mistake. Steve Malsberg on TNT Radio.
1: Take us back in time, and who was Mike Flynn?
2: He was the national security advisor to
0: the president. Why is it that they go after me so hard, why me? Why does Barack Obama only talk about two people to the incoming president of the United States?
2: When I was sentenced, the judge says, you have been convicted of lying to cover up for Donald Trump, to which I say, Cover up what? Russian collusion? There was no Russian collusion to cover up. We see in today's current, uh, scenario with President Joe Biden, who came in with high expectations that he has been viewed as divisive. And we're committed to advancing transgender equality in the classroom. The liberal media say, well, this is his love for his son, and yes, he's going to protect his son. But let me tell you, a lot of fathers love their sons, but their sons had to go to jail when they broke the law. this moment, people see a lot of those telltale signs of a far left drift to the country. Whether you're talking about socialism. Or you're talking about communism socialism is just a kinder cousin of communism but the goal is the same for the state to have control of every aspect of your life yeah. we had multiple hearings on different agencies that have actually just gone rogue they took fewer men in the takedown of el chapo than they did to arrest me and comey went back to his organization and brought his other thugs together, to basically give them the ground rules. Okay, here's how we're gonna, here's what we're gonna do. And now I need some ideas about how to execute this
1: these last four years. We need basically an exorcism in Washington, D.C.
2: When, you know, Satan is tempting Jesus in the desert, I'll I'll give you all the riches of the world. I'll give you everything. All you have to do is bow to me. That's what Barack Obama has done. That's what Jim Comey has done. That's what these bastards have done.
1: The Fall of Deceit at SalemNow.com a hoax about carbon
0: dioxide in the climate has caused a global energy and economic disaster. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. All right, we're back with the second segment of Connecting the Dots. I'm Matt Eric. <clears throat> and again with me is Tim Kirby, host of Tim Kirby in Russia, the most American Russian, as uh, he's sometimes called in some circles. I would like to shift gears a little bit. Uh, Putin has just sure. been, has just announced that he is going to be running uh, as the president again. We Americans are being told that, uh, you know, obviously he's a, a dictator. He's cracking down on liberties. Um, this is the worst thing in the world. What what do you say to people like that? How do you, how do you respond?
1: Well, the, the kind of thing is okay. Why does changing uh, politicians guarantee a high amount of freedom. What does that do that uh, if a politician stays in office, uh, especially in the executive branch for a long time, why does that necessarily mean that we are not free? Because like Angela Merkel was in office for something like 18 years. So does that mean Germany is more or less free because she was in there for 18 years? And then paradoxically, if uh, Merkel is in there for, I don't know, eight or 10, I forget what the German electoral cycles are. Uh, would that would have made them more free. Uh, I think we've sort of have this weird um, subconscious uh, belief that if you change politicians a lot, that's how you attain some sort of free society. And it's kind of like um, those uh, underwear gnomes on South Park. It's like uh, st- phase one, steal underwear, phase two, uh, profit. And it's that one. It's phase one. Rotate your politicians. Phase two. uh, Phase three. uh, Lots of freedom. (laughs) It's like, okay. so I don't quite understand where that comes from, especially because, you know, um, within Russian history, Russian history has been defined by when uh, the good times in Russian history are defined by when there's stability in the leadership. So if you look at Ivan the IV, Fourth, Yekaterina the Second, um, we go even then to uh, Stalin. Uh, we go to uh, Putin. Um, we uh, have to see that uh, these periods where you have a leader in charge for a very long time actually tends to make things work better. Even leaders who weren't very great, like Brezhnev, uh, was in power for for a long time, and that created a stagnation, but a stable stagnation. Whereas the periods in Russian history when there's a change of power, that's when everything is awful. The Russian Revolution, uh, the early 90s to the collapse of the Soviet Union, uh, the time of troubles after um, Ivan the Terrible uh, died, uh, leaving not really a clear line of succession, and he had a lot of wives along the way to try to do that, but unfortunately, uh, it didn't quite work out. One of his wives, though, being a Muslim, oh my gosh, how scandalous, wow. Matt, how scandalous, yes. Uh, there was also the weird rule where I believe it was was it him or one of the other, uh, around those times of uh, troubles, actually put a, uh, there's one Muslim tsar who like, com- uh, converted, whether he actually converted or not, no knows um uh, like right before temporarily overseeing the throne uh you can look that one on up up on wikipedia it's even in there in english surprisingly his name is simon uh beck bulatovich uh so well crazy times um and those crazy times created a lot of problems for russia because during that time of troubles that's when the whole thing of where the polish tried to like invade and take over and they put a false uh, Zima's false Dimitri, who would supposedly be the son of uh, Ivan the uh, fourth, um, into power, and it created all sorts of bad stuff. And the uh, yearly holiday, which is November the fourth, is National Unity Day which celebrates the uprising against the fake Dmitry and the problems caused by the Time of Troubles and all that. So we actually have a holiday in Russia uh, to celebrate mm. the triumph of the masses uh, over the Time of Troubles. So uh, there you go. So long story short, uh, there's nothing you can say to anyone who understands Russian history to say, you should change your leadership all the time and have it be chaotic and maybe influenced by the West. It doesn't work like, work like that here, man. It just doesn't. The Russian history says the exact opposite is true. Hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, even in the United States case, there was never really a, a limit on presidential terms until uh, 1946 under Truman, who mm-hmm. passed a law, uh, made an amendment um, after you know Roosevelt had uh, had died, uh, probably, probably murdered. But uh, but he, he was already in his fourth term, right? Had Roosevelt lived, yeah. lived, he would have been in there for 16 years. And there was no reason to say that you he, he weren't allowed to be in there for 20 years, 24 years. But part of the reason there, mm-hmm. I think, was that they didn't want to have anybody in, in, a, in American politics who could do battle properly with the Wall Street banks as Roosevelt did. He survived yeah. a couple of assassination attempts. He broke up a lot of a lot of the, uh, the power, <laughs> powerful elements of the deep state. And they wanted to make sure that there would never be any situation like that again so instead you always had this constant turnover which uh didn't really guarantee any increased freedom because as you just pointed out the empire only increased corruption only increased so that wasn't necessarily the solution either and getting at the russian psyche the russian experience is very important
1: well it's kind of like uh, a lot of people say we need to have small government and the thing is i kind of agree on the small part after living in russia the problem is with smallness tends to come an unspoken second part, that the government is both small and weak. And the problem with that means that uh, if there's the opportunity for someone to take the reins of power, essentially the power exists. And whether the government takes it or not uh, is sort of the big question, because if they don't take it, then you're going to get more of the corporate takeover. And I think that a lot of our uh, Western-style uh liberalism or well it's liberalism from a russian standpoint Uh, let's be clear western style democracy as i think maybe a better way to say this in english Uh, a lot of it does seem to really serve to have a a government that's very weak and very divided and also uh, very irresponsible because one of the problems that russia shares with the rest of the world is uh, that laws are made by hundreds of people sitting in a room many of whom don't show up Uh, Very few of whom are actually experts on what they vote for. And yet somehow this is the freedom system Uh, and no one has any responsibility or liability for anything they vote for. So the fact that we're stuck in this um, uh, crisis of the military industrial complex where politicians simply uh, vote to get donations to continue to be politicians. That's sort of the cycle that we're, we're stuck in, especially in the West. We really shouldn't be surprised by this because systemically that's kind of the way things are designed and so it, it, it kind of uh begs the question again so if putin is so evil and russia is so evil then why is why is the greatest corruption scheme in human history the military industrial complex in the west and its nature is inherently connected to the western systems so it's you know that's i would say would be one very uh, strong counter argument uh, the other question is just like how uh, you can't, You someone is going to take power, be it the government, be it corporations, someone is going to take power. Power can't just be not had. Uh, I also believe that because of the tribal nature of man, someone is going to get repressed. There's going to be something that's on the edge or outside of our Overton window that's going to be the bad guy. And this bad guy, unfortunately, in the Western world has almost become the sort of traditional majority. The real bad guy in England is the English person. The sort of Christian English man or in France, the same thing with the average French man and so on and so forth. I'm sure all of your listeners are very well, uh, uh, well aware of that. So in Russia, uh, there have been uh, recently some uh, crackdowns on the whole LGBT thing, which has now been declared extremist. So the question is, do you want to live, uh, would you consider it to be more free for the majority of your viewers to live in a society where the oppressed group is the majority, almost everyone, or the oppressed group is the LGBT universe and uh, various other people who uh, take some big donations to uh, get American uh, foreign policy objectives uh, passed into Russian law? You know... Yeah. You got to think about it that way. I think we need to stop living in this um, fantasy utopian thinking that there will be a society one day where you could just say whatever you want. Okay, uh, child rape, uh, selling uh, human organs. Let's go back to slavery. Well, you can't say stuff like that because it's awful. Yes, it is awful, and that's why your your human nature. Basically, we also can't uh, deny the Overton window, the Overton window of our opinions of what we find socially acceptable or not to say it can't be denied. There will always be an Overton window. It just changes shape and form and all that. So I think one of my main quests in my life um, that after I die uh, and I need to write more books, Matt, you're good at writing books. I'm not. Uh, Is that uh, utopianism and the utopian thinking is really, really holding us back. Uh, both in Russia and America and all over the world. Um, And uh, that's where a lot of these logical flaws come from. They come from this idea that we can build a a society where the little peons at the bottom actually have the power. Mm, uh, Not so much. And I would argue that such a society has never existed, even during the good old days. Not in Russia, not in America, not anywhere. Uh, There's a certain hierarchy to things, and we should try to think more in terms of, is this society work? in the best interests of maybe the majority or working the for the in the best interests of its own survival you know, there's kind of a lot of ways you could look at it but um uh, i think we've become no more rational in our opinion on politics and who should rule than medieval peasants were
0: yeah and i i think that uh part of the idea that you just explained regarding the belief that the the masses like the the peasants drive society the masses drive society it 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 Mm. came out as a consequence of the uh the operation to label conspiracy theorizing um crazy back in the in the 60s especially that's when this really was was amped up when when americans were thinking well what what was the the real reason why jfk was killed Um, what's the real reason why we're going into, into the Vietnam war and, um, and there was a concerted effort to create a new policy to label the idea of conspiracy theorizing akin to being, um, an admission that you're crazy because the world, we, we are told scientifically speaking, the experts all know that the world is animated just by individuals being corrupt and stupid. Um, and that's why wars happen. That's why assassinations happen. It's just the masses just being what they are. That's why there's drugs. That's why there's the genres of uh, various art forms that have emerged in our society. That's why Hollywood perform plays the movies that it does. It's just the, they're meeting the demands of the people. And it's like no. When you actually look at a conspiratorial approach to history, which is the I would think I would say the only correct way of doing it, you start seeing that for the good or for the bad, there's always been a minority. Um, who conspire to to put into motion things that involve American revolutions for the good, in opposition mm-hmm. to the systems of the Hellfire Club Satanists that would prefer to keep global feudalism in place, or the idea of like drugs? Where do they come from? It's like, well, it's not just the natural organic evolution of our desires that we have a drug culture. This came from the CIA MKUltra program. This came from top-down bankers working with mafia dons in order to make sure that. Uh, Drugs move from South America, from Afghanistan, um, into schoolyards, uh, into the city cities across America, and people have seen evidence of this in the eighties with the crack cocaine operation that George Bush played a role in, or Oliver North even. <clears throat> so we have like, to, it's very important to like break free of this idea that the masses, our desires, are what make history. But no, it, it's it's there's this other way of looking at history that shows I think a lot more, a lot more is resolved when you take it from that other standpoint.
1: Uh, Yeah, and I'm actually even to to an extent always surprised to the degree at which uh, opinion polls are actually listened to, um, Mm -hmm. at least uh, superficially, at least that's what they say they are, because they don't really actually matter very much. Because all of us, well, we could say, okay, uh, people always, you know, when they're in the, I'll put it this way, when someone is in the mood where they want to feel the like they're in power when they go into the 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 mode that like a six-year-old kid who's maybe been abused they dress up as batmans so that way they can feel that they're batman and they're powerful but of course they're a six-year-old child being abused they have no power uh that's what you get when you hear like uh, some people from my lovely midwestern origins comes up and says well you know the people in washington i'm their boss mm-hmm sure uh, it's kind of like, well, what can you make them do? What can they make you do? But at the, on the other hand, uh, what the uh, people have in, in their on their side is their numbers. And that's one of the things that's very scary about the atomization of society that we've all gone through, especially since the 1950s, is that as long as the masses are nice and atomized, they can't really take uh, much action or create much political change. Um, And I think that that's another thing where um, we might pride ourselves on individualism, but we're all completely individual and we don't care about each other and we don't have any society or anything gluing us together. That's when we're really oppressed. That's, you know, when the Mm -hmm. oppression button really comes in. And that's another advantage with Russia is that um, Russians tend to have sort of a more global uh view of things like uh, there's not much political division in terms of opinion they're a lot more homogenous and that means that the more that russia gets um freedom from uh western let's just i don't want to say control influence uh the more it's able to do things like now they're pretty much going to ban abortions uh outright they've been chipping away at that for many years but that's another thing but that's because the people want it and generally agree with it and there isn't like a – there are no wedge issues in Russia, really. That's another thing. Mm. There just aren't. This whole idea of a wedge issue where there has to be this party takes this and this party takes that, and, uh, there's just not. And so in some ways, uh, it makes the political um, uh, cycle in Russia seem in a way to be kind of fake or false. But it's only because there's sort of a general overall opinion that society has – with a few different maybe flavorings added and that's where the minority parties come in you know like just Russia is a little bit more socialist the communist party is has a much more favorable view of the ussr and um the ldpr uh would like to give everybody guns and that's about um and that's about it so yeah it's uh it's a very different way. And, it's, and the problem that I think a lot of people also have for in the North American sphere, we'll count you Canadians in there as well, is that when you don't leave that sphere, you don't understand how things could be very, very different. And it also then sort of begs the the, 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 the question, if people live in a more Eurasian society where there's a lot more um, homogeny within political opinions, why do we even bother with all these party structures like why do we do this what does it gain us what does it get us another interesting question Mm
0: -hmm. yeah no party politics is definitely something which uh emerged as well as a bit of a fraud with party whips keeping everybody in in tow and you know if you if you in canada if you express an opinion about that that's based on your conscience which falls outside of the the whimsy of the party uh, like, let's say you're against um, giving lap dances to kids uh, in in elementary school by transvestites. If you're against that, but your party, let's say of Justin Trudeau, might be for that as a program. I'm I'm giving a bit of an extreme example here, but not that extreme. Uh, you'll you're gone. You're you will actually be whipped. They they call them party whips, and you're you're out uh, out to lunch. Like all of a sudden, you're not part yeah. of the party. So it's really a, a system well, yeah, of it, of control by popular opinion. Um, and not really based upon the idea of conscience at all. Whereas in the United States, at least you you are allowed to stand up for your conscience. It's a bit different. Let's, let's take a little quick break and then we'll come back to continue this conversation on TNT Radio. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
2: William F. Buckley, who was a great conservative and a great Catholic philosopher, once said a lot of the problems with the church came from the popes. Because there were a lot of popes that had one foot in the city of man one foot in the city of God. There's no greater example than the current Pope. It is absolutely astounding that he's saying what he's saying about climate. It's the height of ignorance. Climate is not out of control. And as a matter of fact, if it was out of control, there's nothing man can do about it. This whole thing is a scam. And what is fascinating about the situation is he doesn't even seem to look at who he's in bed with with this. A lot of these people are sectarians. They don't have any appeal to a higher authority, except for themselves as a higher authority, and they're out to play God. And he's actually putting himself in bed with that. And you wanna know something? If you wanna be the spiritual leader of 1.2 billion Catholics, you wanna get involved in politics, and that's exactly what climate is, politics. You've got one foot in the city of man, one foot in the city of God. Not only does it rip you up, but it's gonna rip your followers up. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather, it's the only weather you've got.
0: My character Shazam knows all about growing up in a family full of teenage superheroes. They're bold. Where's everyone going?
1: To fight crime.
0: Okay. Adventurous. Shazam! There's never a dull moment. Ah! And no matter what happens, they'll always have your back. All they need is a place to grow and be themselves. And the best part is, you don't have to be a superhero to adopt a teen. Learn more about adopting a teen from foster care. Visit AdoptUSKids.org. You can't imagine the reward. Deconstructing psyops, propaganda, and mainstream media garbage. Connecting the dots. You're with Matt Arrett and Connecting the Dots on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back for our third segment. I'm uh, very happy that Tim Kirby has uh, agreed to talk about his experience in Russia, his insights. We were just talking a little bit about a variety of things. But I want to know, Tim, um, Putin has just announced as well that uh, there will be 170,000 new recruits to the Russian military. Uh, Western press is trying to paint this as if it's a sign of desperation, weakness. But meanwhile, we have um, messaging from from Lloyd Austin threatening in anger the congress that uh their their uncles their their children will uh will be sent to fight russia if they don't support the the blank check to the ukrainians um there's a lot of different messaging going on now uh we're being told again that russia is in a weak spot it's only a matter of time finally before uh the ukrainians come out victorious as we've all been promised what's the what's the real story there tim
1: well, judging by the information that you can see on the other side of the line, things look very differently. But someone could always say, that well, that's Russian propaganda. But one thing that's not propaganda is that the uh, people who do the analysis of where the actual front lines are will show that uh, during the summer, the Ukrainian counteroffensive, which some people say isn't even a counteroffensive, it's just an offensive, their uh, plan was to break through the Russian lines and sort of divide the Russian forces, pushing their way into the Crimea. They were not even able to approach the first Russian line, and that's a fact that's confirmed by both Western and uh, Eastern analysis of the front line movements. And since uh, about let's just say the end of the uh, spring summer offense counteroffensive, what was that be then? October September, for the most part, uh, the Ukrainian forces have only been uh, have only been being uh, driven backwards. So it's a slow matter of going forward. I think one of the, the problems here is that Moscow, in true Russian fashion, does not understand the West um, because this whole thing of a, a lack of understanding of Russia. Uh, it goes both ways. Uh, no matter how many times, Matt, I've tried to convince uh, Russian people, be they unimportant people or some of the most important people there are, they absolutely uh, refuse or are unable to understand the West. It's much in the way that um, – uh, have you ever noticed how women uh, don't – if if they, there's some aspect about the way that may, men do things, they'll just kind of be like, oh, that's silly, and they don't believe it. They don't like it. Like if you tell a woman, uh, you know, men are really motivated by sex, that can't be true. That's not true. And that sex isn't the most important thing to men. You're to the, it's kind of like that. Uh, they just uh on both sides, uh the West doesn't want to understand Russia, and the Russians maybe consciously want to understand the West, but subconsciously they're unwilling, unable, or their good old inferiority complex. Uh, doesn't allow them to because i may I remind you that russia has been uh for the last 300 years told that they're inferior to the west and a lot of them believe it to this day so hmm. but anyways i'm getting out of the about, uh, what what you know. do you
0: what do you what would you say they they need to really wake up and understand about the west uh most importantly
1: well the thing that kind of happened to wake up to wake up about the west was this whole thing with the like the war in ukraine and the fact that uh you know the west was financing fascists like that like i think this war in ukraine has really been the big um you know how like it takes a lot to turn a ship i think that this was that one big wave that really moved the bow of the ship of uh, uh the russian inferiority complex in, in a different direction who knows where it'll go uh, later but that was a pretty big Big change, because if you talk to Russians about their political views, I'll put it this way. Uh, Russians are they act to the entire rest of the world and its populations the way they should act towards the West as well. Like if you talk to a lot of Russians about the the Chinese, they're like, awesome. That It's great that the Chinese are friends, but there's a lot of them. They have a lot of industry. Our Far East is very unpopulated. They're kind of worried that China may be able to have too much influence over Russia and take things over. Um, same thing maybe with like the Arabs, Russia loves, uh, especially having a uh, partying with the Arabs, uh, but, uh, you know, with the, the Arab countries, Russia's always been able to make a bunch of deals, but at the same time, uh, you know, Christianity has taken a major hit and even within Russia, it's kind of coming back, but we're nowhere near the, uh, passionary levels that our uh, Muslim cousins are. And some people kind of worry about that just to sort of two, uh, two examples, right? There's the African population bomb where it's kind of like, well, we really like Africa, but what if we start letting them all in the country? Maybe there'll be too many of them. Stuff like that, right? Uh, a Very reasonable, unreasonable, some kind of level of like paranoia. When it comes to the West, nothing. Pure trust, like a puppy dog going up to its master. Wow. Or maybe, should I say, uh, much like the chickens that go up to their uh, owner every day to get fed, and then one of them gets their head cut off because it's uh, dinner time. You know, um, the naivete from adult male Russians, sometimes even in power towards the West, uh, the West is treated completely differently in their subconscious than all the other human beings. And ironically, I think that's also one of the reasons why the Russians are so good at making deals. Like if you think about it, Matt, during state official communism that was in the Soviet Union, the Russians were always able to make good deals with the Arabs. Like even the Arab countries that had a lot of influence from the West, like Egypt or I suppose well, Syria had less influence, but they were able to make deals in Syria and Egypt during the Cold War. And like with, with all the Asian countries, be they uh, you know, Indonesia, Malaysia, China, all this other stuff, no problem. But with the West, the West is always just different. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, the way um if a guy's pretty good with women, but then he meets a supermodel, all of a sudden he's like, "Uh, hi, my name's Bill. Uh, You're too hot. It's kind of like that. It's this uh, intimidation or something, you know, but the intimidation comes I from know. feeling inferior because this bill guy would feel inferior to the woman he's trying to hit on. And therefore, he would be cowardly and be unattractive, you know.
0: That's interesting. I didn't. I didn't know that. I didn't know that there was still such a, a heavy romanticization of the West uh, prior to this Ukraine uh, thing blowing up. And no. uh, would you say that in the case of the 1990s, the Perestroika disaster, the destruction of of the industry of the people, the creation of an oligarchy, most Russians were not aware that this was a foreign directed program to destroy Russia and that's not, that's not a commonly understood or it wasn't
1: a commonly understood uh, thing. well, Well, Matt, Matt, you're, you're really asking for human beings to be rational. Okay. So first off, there were the masses, the masses, when 1991 happens and the Soviet union breaks up, their interpretation of what happened is just as stupid as it was in America. The American interpretation is we're the best baby. It's the end of history. Fuck you. That was the American interpretation. And the Soviet interpretation is look at how inferior we are. We're always going to be poorer. We're inherently inferior to the West. We need to submit to the West. The only way that we could ever have a wealthy country is if the Westerners come and run things for us. That was their interpretation, right? And they're both f- flawed and wrong. And um, they both wound up being very self destructive. Uh, the American one just took a lot longer. Hmm. And uh, yeah, the I thing is, is, just on a, on a personal level, Matt, I can tell you okay. over the last, like, you know, I've been here with 17 years, 17 years ago. Uh, I was met as almost being a living God man as if uh, I was one of the people from some sort of other heavenly dimension. And just to be able to touch my hand could give them the golden ticket to the magic dimension. Now, if you talk to Russian people, they kind of don't care. So that's a wow. huge difference. That is a thing where, you know, people will go out of their way to just bow to you like, oh, may I bask in your Americanness? And now they kind of don't care. However, the people from like Central Asia who come here to work, they're still like that. You know? Um, so mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So you mean like people like from Kazakhstan or I, I know Kazakhstan just had their their no, play, the Playboy yeah. edition of Kazakhstan just had a uh a dude who's who did the who did the <laughs> switch. As the uh, the cover girl for their, uh, oh, their Playboy, uh, so I know they've they've got the uh, cultural warfare and the 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 American the Americanization uh, pretty bad. Uh.
1: I, I would say it's more even the even poorer places, kind of like uh, Uzbekistan or maybe Tajikistan, or they'll be like because again, um, remember uh, for people don't know who haven't traveled outside of America. Uh, again, I keep using sex as a reference here, but it works so well. It's again, the in the past, you know when when people moved to America, it was kind of like a deal. It's like, okay, you're gonna come to America and in America, we don't really care if you're Protestant or Catholic and we're kind of mixed up anyways. We don't care if your father was a coal miner or was a general. Your chances of uh, becoming an officer in the army will be equal or something like kind of like that you get rid of your um, factors of identity, and you get a restart in life. And if you work hard, uh, things are fair, taxes are low. Uh, awesome. Okay. Uh, that was like the, the 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 deal then. The way that foreign people see things now is America is like the hot chick at the end of the bar with the smoking rack. It's just like all they want, all they see is the boobs, they see the money, they see the big houses, and that's all they want. They don't like Americans they don't like anything about America you'd be amazed also too how many like the the Russians who go there because Russia's oppressive uh, they don't know anything about American football they don't know anything about the culture they don't know anything about Thomas Jefferson or George Washington because they don't care it's about the boobs mm. it's about the it's about the big house in the car and that's it and that's another part of the problem uh, too in terms of their attitude towards America is the Russians who actually do like America only like it for one thing and so do the rest of the foreigners and the question is when the one thing dries up and they're all stuck living there how are they going to react to that interesting right well, i don't quite have an answer the, to that one
0: no i know but, but well the, the, the social fabric in the united states is, is quickly uh, breaking apart in so many levels so it's it's a bit scary for americans and i guess looking in finally from a, a foreigner Uh, A lot of that gloss has uh, has worn thin. But that being said, Putin has been able to still um, succeed quite a bit. I mean, he he's he's we already mentioned it. He's going to be probably the pres, undoubtedly the president yet again in 2024. He's going to run. I'm sure he's going to be elected. How has he been able to? And we only have six minutes here. But how has he been able to go from a situation in 1999? which had absolute corruption. The CIA had a bureau office controlling a big chunk of the the Russian nuclear warheads um, and and just complete oligarchs loyal to Western banking interests, which are, I mean, as far as I can see, there's still a deep state in Russia. It's still there. But um, how has he been able to tame a lot of these beasts and create a situation where Russia is now prospering, despite all the economic attacks, warfare against them on every level, cultural war? in in 5 minutes could you could you possibly give a general idea of how oh, you've yeah. been able to and, make and, and again this, this is this uh, something
1: that this is something that's my personal opinion so this isn't like something from a russian textbook at a university hmm. i think what he actually did is he set the goal of russia will survive and it doesn't matter how as long as it survives and incrementally always sort of changing with the times to going towards that goal. Of course, he would like Russia to be more sovereign and more powerful, but the ultimate thing is to survive. Because remember, Putin himself even admitted that Russia was ready to submit to NATO membership when he first came into office. Russia signed off on a lot of uh, things that are sort of questionable uh, and Western policies. And it's sort of more that they he reacted to a lot of things that the West did rather than trying to fight it. So I think the main thing is he just has always tried, more than anything, to keep the boat afloat and to slowly make incremental changes. Um, I once did an interview with a, a famous uh, economist, um, Dmitry Kostyan, and he said that the problem with making major economic changes that Putin might like to do, say, with like there, the rushed equivalent of the uh, the Federal Reserve system, is that it's kind of like trying to fix an airplane while it's flying. <laughs> you know, and -hmm. that's in a lot of ways what Putin sort of had to do is he sort of had to deal with sort of one crisis at a time, make one incremental change at a time uh, constantly. You know, he also has changed over the years. A lot of the rhetoric has changed because when Putin first came into office, the mission was stability. It wasn't let's get rich. Let's make Russia great again. It was just stability. Mm -hmm. Stop the bleeding. Stability time. And now the stability moniker or Slogan um, has vanished into history because that's not what it's about anymore. Uh, Now it's about uh, more about sovereignty, uh, sovereignty in the multipolar world and all this other stuff. Although you could also say it's the counter to my belief that Putin sort of bends with the wind and uh, has the objective of just keeping Russia afloat. Uh, one counterargument to that would be his uh, Munich speech, where he essentially kind of declared war <laughs> against the entire West um, and that the the multipolar world would sort of happen anyways. So someone could sort of argue that perhaps uh, a lot of these events that have happened are semi-inevitable, that the rise of the multipolar world was going to happen and that Putin more or less invited the West to just kind of accept it with him. Uh, I'm not really sure, but someone could kind of make that kind of crazy argument but i don't think that's true i think he's just sort of goes with the flow because remember with this war he went in soft because he kind of just wanted to get some kind of peace agreement keeping ukraine out of nato and that would have been good enough but the situation wouldn't let him with crimea was it again did putin really plan all these years to annex crimea no there was a, a governmental overthrow in kiev perhaps there was some Pre-planning for it, I'm sure, uh, to an extent, but it was the Maidan that caused him – the, the annexation of Crimea was caused by the Maidan. The uh, entry of four new states into the Russian Federation was caused by the the, the war and the fact that um, uh, Washington wouldn't listen to, Russians, to Russia's demands, and the whole peace process with Zelensky was torn up, and he wouldn't stop killing locals there. A lot of this stuff is actually very reactive. It really is. So maybe we should thank the West? <laughs> I don't know.
0: Well, I, I, it seems like the, the crisis wasn't created by Russia, but Russia definitely grew in the face of crisis. That's for sure. And I I, I look back, and as you pointed out, the Munich speech uh, was just one of many points where Putin gave an alternative vision or an, an alternative set of possibilities for global relationships where he wasn't coming out belligerent. He typically called the United States... His friend, our friends are, are having some confused, are are confused right now, but he always had a very diplomatic tone until very recently when it became the empire, empire of lies. That was sort of a newer thing for most of his time. Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Finally, he should have been saying that 10 years ago, but maybe he wasn't able to, because remember, those sanctions used to be scary. And uh, 2013 Putin, he was happy to kind of maybe just keep things going. Like, can we just have this Maidan thing kind of calm down? Let's get back to business and move things forward. And then so uh, in a lot of ways, the West has kind of forced his hand to take a lot of these actions, which maybe he wouldn't have uh, taken because they're so um, unpredictable. And Russians, especially ones in business, they love predictability. You have no idea. Mm
0: -hmm. How can people reach you tim
1: uh they can find me at tim kirby russia hardcore especially if they want to find out the american villages program and how they can build a life in russia uh yeah find me on there or i think just tim kirby russia on telegram i think is my personal telegram uh you can go tell me to f myself personally it'll be amazing then i'll block you
0: thank you tim all right we're gonna co- go for a short break and then we're gonna come back with tom lawongo